Well, good morning, Grace. It is wonderful to be with you on this summer morning. Underdogs. I think we all love underdogs, don't we? A basketball team that has come, that nobody has ever heard of, comes completely out of nowhere, goes to the final four in the March Madness. Or that unlikely person who walks out on stage at The Voice or America's Got Talent and blows the audience completely away. We love those storylines, like movies like Rocky 1, 2, 4, 5, 7, and 9. <laughs> or Remember the Titans. We always cheer for those who have the odds stacked against them. Now, speaking about having the odds stacked against you, have you ever watched American Ninja Warrior? It's pretty incredible. You have these highly conditioned athletes, mighty ninja warriors, men and women of all ages, trying to defeat this incredible, difficult obstacle course. And when I watch this, I know I couldn't make it through one session. Few make it through. But because the odds are stacked against them, even the strongest and most agile athletic competitors, almost everybody somewhere along the line wipes out or ends up in the water. But you know, that's what makes for a great story. Maybe right now you feel like the biggest underdog in the world and that the odds are stacked against you. You might think that things will never get any better, that nothing could come out, out of the good out of the situation you're in. One of the unique opportunities we have in our bulletin is to write a prayer request in this tear-off card here. And on Monday mornings, we collect those, and the elders and pastors pray for those throughout the week. As I review those prayer requests, I am struck by how many people are struggling with big-time issues where the odds are stacked against them. Today, you're going to be reminded that God can do anything. The greater the odds, the greater the power he displays. You might be thinking things are really bleak right now, that they will not get any better, and that nothing could come good out of the situation you're in, that the odds are stacked against you. Well, I'm here to tell you, God specializes in impossible odds. And if your strength seems really small to you right now, I want to encourage you to lean into his supernatural power because he will carry you through and he is for you. He loves you, catch this, with an unfailing love. And you won't find that anyplace else. Your circumstances may never radically change, but you will. And I'm talking to you, mighty warrior. Now, I want to show you a story of an underdog, one of the greatest against all odds kind of story. It's a story of a simple, ordinary guy named Gideon from the Old Testament. And when I read this story, it feels like a mini-series that would be on television, like Madam Secretary, or Blue Bloods, or Father Brown Murder Mysteries. The script for this mini-series is in Judges chapters 6 and 7. 
I want to encourage you to turn in your Bible, and the Scripture will also be on the screen. Judges follows Joshua, which follows the Pentateuch. And in this time period, we're talking about the historical books, which spans about a 1,000 years. And it's not surprising that during this story time, there is going to be ups and downs and twists and turns, just like any miniseries on TV. The historical books begin with Israel conquering the promised land with the leadership of Joshua. Israel's life is explained very clearly as they take over and set up the judges. And that leads to the transition of the kings. You have the division of the nation, the downfall of the nation of Israel and Judah, the exiles, and then the returns. Today, specifically, we are looking at the time of the judges, where there is a downward spiral of Israel's national and spiritual life into chaos and apostasy, showing the need for a great godly king to lead them. We're going to work through this underdog of a story. Now, have any of you ever binge-watched a miniseries where you're going to Okay, you come home from vacation and like, honey, we got to get caught up on these episodes. So you're up to like 2 in the morning. Well, that's what we're going to do. Joshua 6, excuse me, yeah, Judges 6 and 7, we're going to binge watch. And we're going to leave out the commercials. Okay, so let's begin. Here's season 1, episode 1, the pilot. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Now, when you read the book of Judges, you will see this a reoccurring theme over and over and over again. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Once again, they did what was right in their own eyes. As they rebelled against God, life would get pretty awful. Then they would repent of their sin. They'd cry out to God And guess what? God would rescue them. Then it wouldn't be too long when they'd act like God didn't even exist. They'd have multiple affairs, and they even cheated on God and had phony little G-gods. And time after time, God would say, All right, if that's what you choose, and he would let them go into their self-destructive tailspin, and allowed them by their own free will to make horrible choices, which in turn brought devastating consequences in their lives. So as a result of their bad choices, Israel was under domination by the nation of the Midianites. Now the Midianites were ruthless, evil, godless, powerless, desert nomads, who for seven years just raided and plundered Israel's promised land relentlessly. Their invasion was so massive and overpowering. The scripture says that God's people went to caves. They went to the mountains. They went to strongholds. They went into ravines. Any place they could find just to survive. The Midianites destroyed their crops, took out their livestock and brought them to the brink of absolute starvation. Finally, the nation of Israel got so miserable and desperate, the word of God says this, Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord 
for help. After seven years, they finally remembered, oh yeah, what about God? God should never be a last resort when it comes to life situations. God is not someone to call as a 911 dispatcher or some superhero where we send out a bat signal from the bat cave. He longs to be our Abba Father, our Daddy, someone wants to do life with every day. Well, however, when we do reach that point of humble desperation and we sincerely finally cry out to God and we turn to Him, even though we haven't been thinking about Him for seven years, He's been thinking about us. Look at this passage in Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are ways, your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God hears and he responds. In fact, he loves us so much that he sees beyond the rebellion, beyond the disobedience and disregard. He doesn't bring anything up about the horrible past or the horrible things that I have done. He doesn't say, Robin, are you kidding me? I mean, where have you been? Fast chance I'm going to help you this time. When we humble ourselves and sincerely cry out and turn toward him, he hears us and responds. God's word is full of promises one of my favorite ones is Jeremiah 33.3. It says, call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Another translation says, great and mighty things, things that are unfathomable and unsearchable. That is our God. You see, God is going to work on your behalf. He is already doing that because he is sovereign. Let's go back to the story. Through an unnamed prophet, God reminds the people of his faithfulness and their own apostasy. It's like a dad seizing a teaching moment with the son or daughter. Remember those where he says, son, I had those. Son, let's go to the couch for a minute. I need to talk to you. And he puts his arm around you and say, let me tell you something. And boom, here it is. God's using an unnamed prophet. This is what the Lord says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and the hand of your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. And I said, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live. God says, nevertheless, I love you. I've heard your cries. And I'm about to move through you. Watch out. Episode one ends. Episode two, the visitor. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to the Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. 
Now, it's interesting to note in this passage that grapes were normally trodden in a wine press. A circular or square pit carved into the rock. Whereas wheat was usually threshed on an open threshing floor where the wind would carry away the chaff during the winnowing process. Gideon's secret threshing inside a wine press when he had already had access to a true threshing floor shows the desperate straits he took to hide food from the Midianites. Well, when the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, Gideon looks around and he says this, I don't know what you're talking about. You're, you're talking to me, God? I mean, wait a minute. You got the wrong guy. Don't you see? I'm just a simple farmer. I'm a, I'm a grain thresher. Mighty warrior. I think you have me confused with somebody else. You know, you and I hear voices telling us who we are, don't we? Voices from the past from the school playground that we grew up on, voices from people we work with, people we live with, people we go to school with, telling us that we are less than, we are worthless, inadequate, deeply flawed. And we believe them. Then when God shows up and tells us who we really are, we say, Wait a minute, God, you got the wrong gal. You got the wrong guy. I mean, you must have me confused with the person two houses down. Come on, God. The truth is I'm unlovable. I'm unstable. I'm an addict. I'm too fat. I'm too slow. I'm too... Excuse me. God, did you just say I'm loved? I'm priceless, I'm worthy, I'm treasured. Did you call me mighty warrior? God says, yes, I'm talking to you. God does not want you and I to walk through this life with all the labels other people attach to us. He wants you to walk through the day with the humble confidence and truth of who he says you are. Some of you have heard these truth statements about our identity in Christ. And often through the week, I will pull these out of my desk or out of my Bible to remind myself of how Christ sees me. Take a moment and listen to them and take them to heart. I am God's child. I am bought with a price. I am a saint, set apart for God. I am adopted as God's child. I have been redeemed and forgiven. I am the salt and the light of the earth. I am free forever from condemnation. I am a citizen of heaven. I am significant. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I am established, anointed, sealed by the Holy Spirit. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thank you, Laura. Mighty warrior, you might be the one to step up 
and end the cycle of dysfunction in your family tree. You might be the one that God chooses to end the years of alcoholism in your family. You might be the one that God chooses to change the climate of your workplace, maybe your school or your neighborhood. God is saying, step up and live by faith. Well, Gideon comes back to God with the classic question, but sir, if, and it's a big if, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of the Midianites. Gideon is not thinking about how Israel abandoned God, but he is only feeling that God has abandoned them. And we are like that too, aren't we? It's easier to be mad and angry and upset and to blame God for the mess that we're in. If God loves us, how did we get into this situation? Where is he now? Well, the Lord turns to Gideon and he says very simply, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Step up, mighty warrior. I've heard the cries of your people, and I'm going to move through you. It reminds me of the encounter that Moses had with God at the burning bush back in Exodus chapter 3. God calls to, uh, Moses to lead his people out of oppression, and slavery, and bondage. And Moses begins to backtrack. And he says, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute, me? You're, you're expecting me to lead these people? And God says, Moses, I am going to do that. I am going to do that. I am going to be with you. I just want to use you. Maybe that's all you need to hear this morning. Who is going to help me in all of this mess that I'm in? God says, I am. Who's going to stand beside me in the crushing grief and loss that I'm experiencing deep in my soul? God says, I am. Who's going to be with me in the next job opportunity and, and the job search, search that I need to do? God says, I am. Who's going to sit with me through these awful chemo treatments, God says, I am. Who's going to walk with me down these intimidating hallways of my school this fall? God says, I am. The great I am is with you. At the bottom of your sermon page, we have a promise from the sovereign God Sovereign means God has a plan and a purpose. God who secures us and strengthens us with his power and with his might. And he speaks through the prophet Isaiah. Would you join me and read that together? Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. 
Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When our hearts are anxious about the worries of life and the thoughts of constant fear of what's coming next, what's coming tomorrow about my health, bills, kids, God says, I am here with you. Trust me. I'm going to use you and work through you. Well, like Moses, Gideon had his doubts and fears, and he begins to make excuses. But Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. He goes right to the heart, myself, my family. Now, at this moment, God could easily have gotten out a whiteboard and done a genogram. I don't know if you've ever done a genogram, but you trace your family's history. You look at grandfather and great-grandfather, and you trace it all the way back. And God could say, yeah, let's talk about your family. Let's talk about your tribe. But God doesn't do that. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And we will strike down the Midianites together as if we're fighting one man. How about you? Do you seriously think God can't use you? Listen to this list of God's underdogs that are found in Hebrews chapter 11, who he has called over the time of history, and he's used for his glory. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Samson was a womanizer. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. Lazarus was dead. Wow. Thank you, Dennis. God can use you, mighty warrior. He used the saints of old. Well, back to our story. So Gideon's response is, um, okay, God, I'm going to need a sign. Did you ever do that? Gideon says, I'll be right back. So God waits. Gideon rushes off. He prepares an offering. He comes back, sets it before an angel of the Lord. An angel of the Lord touches the offering with his staff, and the fire consumes it. And when Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he says, Sovereign Lord, 
I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. When Gideon realized what had happened, he said, I'm doomed. I'm going to die. But catch this. The Lord said to him, peace. Do not be afraid, Gideon. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar there and called it the Lord is peace. In your bulletin, under the prayer spotlight, you have the words from the passage, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the peace, the same word in the Hebrew and the Greek that God is, is relaying to for Gideon and to you. That God is the God of peace. He will guard your heart and mind in peace because he is the God of peace. Wow. Is that encouraging or what? Episode two ends here. Episode three, Demo Day. Do you ever watch those home improvement shows where the crew comes in? They've got the sledgehammers, the jackhammers, they're all kinds of hammers, and they are tearing down the sheetwalk, the walls, the partitions. God says, Gideon, it's demo day. Before I begin to work through you, all these other gods in this nation and in your family have got to go. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to your father's house. I want you to cut down, tear down the altar to Baal, cut down the Asherah pole. These false gods have taken over your family and your nation, which is why you're in this mess. And if I'm going to move in, these false gods have to move out. I want you to build an altar to me, sacrifice a bull on it, and, oh, by the way, you can use the firewood from the Asherah pole. As firewood. Wow. While I was working on this passage this week, I got a text from a brother in Christ. And he said, Robin, I am 27 days sober from fear and anxiety. Hallelujah. 27 days. This is huge for this young man. God is transforming his life from inside out in an incredible way where he has met Jesus face to face. And Jesus has given him a peace that passes all understanding. And he said, right now I'm working on my moral inventory on step four. And God is telling me to go through my soul and to clean house. In fact, it kind of reminds me of Pastor Ray Anderson's sermon last week when he held up that booklet, My, Christ, uh, excuse me, my Heart Christ Home. If you've never read that, you need to do that. Where Jesus walks with you through every single room of your house and says, okay, this has to go, this has to go, that can stay. It's demo day for Gideon. Gideon says, we've got work to do. Take a moment right now, mighty warriors. What has attention, the first thing on your heart when you get out of bed in the morning and your feet hit the floor? What's tugging and draining you? What's, what's draining you of that energy and time? Material things? Status? Looks and image? Fame? 
I encourage you to surrender it to the Lord. Well, Gideon goes to work. During the night, in the middle of the night, he tears down the idols for fear of his family and friends. The next morning, a crowd shows up. They knock on father's door. We want your boy. He is going to die for destroying the altar of Baal and cutting down the Asherah pole. And I love Joash's response. What a dad moment this is. Joash was deeply moved by his son's courage and conviction. And Joash convicted himself. He stands up and he says, okay, you know what? If Baal is truly a god, let him defend himself. If he's so powerful, let him deal with the one who tore down the altar and cut down the pole. From then on, Gideon was called Jeroboam, which means let Baal defend himself. Episode 4, Fleeced. God's spirit begins to move within Gideon and make him a respected leader among his people. Gideon becomes a general among all the troops, but there's still some doubt in his own mind. So he says, God, if you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel, once again, I'm going to need a sign. Now, you may shake your head and go, oh, come on, Gideon. I mean, really? But honestly, put yourself in Gideon's sandals. Fear, doubt, insecurity, anxiety, inadequacy, they plague us too. So Gideon says, prove it to me this way, God. I am going to throw a fleece on the floor. And what I'm going to ask you to do is you make that fleece wet. And all around it, make that ground dry. And you do that. So he does that. It happens. God makes it happen. So Gideon puts out the fleece, and boom, there it is. The fleece is sopping wet, and the ground is dry. Well, then Gideon says, okay, God, two out of three. I bet you can't do that again. So this time, you make the ground wet and the fleece dry. And it happens the exact way Gideon requests. I'm not a big one for throwing out signs, but uh, I admit I've thrown out a fleece or two in my life. I've learned over the years when I am faced with life decisions, whether big or small, to ask God for his wisdom and discernment. Episode 5, Braveheart. The scene opens with Gideon getting this ragtag remnant of an army ready. Now, we're talking about hungry, skinny, uh, cave-dwelling guys with inferior strength, inferior training, and inferior craftsmanship. Not of chance of defying the mighty Midianites. It reminds me of the scene from Braveheart. On one side, you have this sophisticated army, thousands of horses, catapults, uniforms all matching. Then on the other side, you have these farmers with axes, shovels, faces painted blue, and they're in plaid skirts. And Gideon has to be thinking, wow, this is my dream team. We're going to get smashed. But God takes a look at that mighty fighting army, and he says, Gideon, 
You have too many warriors. And Gideon goes, what? You're kidding me. God says, no, I'm not kidding. Even though the odds are stacked against you, Israel is going to win. And when they win, they will boast about the biggest upset of the, of the century. They're going to be on the late night talk shows. They'll be signing autograph deals. And they'll be telling their grandchildren, look how awesome we were. No one thought we could do it. We did it in our own strength and our own skill, our own craftsmanship. We pulled it off and sent the mighty Midianites running. God says, Gideon, I want to remove that temptation. I want to show all of Israel that they can't do this on their own, that they desperately need me, Yahweh. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to your army, and I want you to give permission to all your guys. If they are afraid right now and not up for the fight, you can tell them to go home. So Gideon does that. 22,000 men leave. Yeah, I'd be shaking in my boots too, or sandals. Now the odds are really stacked against them. Less than 11,000 remain. And Gideon's got to be thinking, God, what are you up to? God says, okay, Gideon, you still have too many, mighty warrior. So here's what you're going to do. Take your men down to the river for a cup of water. And when you get down there, there's going to be two groups. The first group is going to lap water like dogs. That'll be one group. Then you've got another group over here. They're going to cup their hands, drink the water, and they're going to be, their eyes are going to be watching. They're watching for the enemy. Those are the guys I want you to keep. 300 here, some 11,000 there. God says, Send the 11,000 away. You keep 300. God says, now we're getting somewhere. And Gideon has to be thinking, God, what are you up to? The final episode, the battle. Now we're at the final episode. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. And God tells Gideon, I have given you victory over them, but... If you're still looking for a sign, Gideon, which I know you are, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sneak down there tonight and listen to what they're saying. So Gideon grabs his servant. They sneak down to the edge of the camp where there are so many soldiers. Now, to make matters worse in this situation, all the other evil armies and nations that have surrounded Israel and Judah have gathered and joined the Midianites. Scripture says it's like a swarm of locusts or the pebbles on the sand of a beach. So many you can't even count. Kind of reminds me, you know, when you go down to South Congress Bridge and you're waiting at dusk for the Mexican fantail bats to come out, and you go, okay, 50, 100, well, oh, man, there's so many, I can't count them. That's the scene. Thousands and thousands and thousands. Now catch this. Gideon had just arrived as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he said. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. 
His friend, his friend responded, this can be none other than the sword of Gibeon, the son of Joash. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Well, when Gideon heard this, his response was he worshiped God. And he returned to the camp of Israel and he said, mighty warriors, get up. The Lord has given us the Midianite camp into his hands. Then Gideon divided his 300 men into three companies and gave every man a trumpet, a clay jar, and torches. He tells them, we're going to surround the camp. We're going to create some chaos. And as soon as I blow my trumpet, you blow your trumpet. You're going to break your clay jars, and we're going to shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Against all odds, God takes out the largest army ever on the planet with trumpets, torches, and clay pots. That's our God. That is our amazing God. Amen? Well, there's one final scene. It's where you, mighty warriors, fit into the story. What is reality for you right now? Do you feel like the odds are stacked against you? For some of you, it might be an uphill battle or struggle in your marriage. Maybe you feel like you're drowning in financial pressure and you can't get out from under it. Maybe you have a prodigal son or prodigal daughter that you just don't know how to help anymore. Maybe you have an addiction or a personal stronghold that you're living with where your life feels like on the spin cycle of a washing machine going over and over and round and round. Maybe you have some big-time health issues right now. I'm telling you, mighty warrior, we have a God of horns, clay pots, and torches. He is the God who makes walls fall down. He makes the armies run. He parts the Red Sea. He turns the water into wine. He walks on water, and he makes the blind man see. He makes dead men walk, and he's prepared a place forever for you and for me, for all eternity. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. And don't give up hope. Maybe he's just waiting for you to humbly cry out right now, to acknowledge that, God, I am the weakest member in my family. And maybe that you're desperately in need of supernatural help. Perhaps he's waiting for you to say, God, it's demo day. Would you take my heart as it is and tear down the idols that I've set up, that I've given devotion to and energy and adoration to? I want you to be first. Maybe he's calling you, mighty warriors, to step up and step out and to live by faith and to courageously take a risk and walk with him. I can only speak from experience. He will not only help you, he will make you freer and he will use you to accomplish some amazing things for his glory. 
Over the past 12 years here at Grace, we've had Celebrate Recovery. And as I've overseen that ministry, I've also worked the 12 steps and the eight principles myself. And I'm going to confess to you, I'm Gideon. I have found that I have had fears and anxieties that go clear back to childhood. And God wanted to heal those and deal with me. And to give me courage and boldness to saying, I am with you, Robin. Don't be afraid. I want to encourage you today to say yes to God. Maybe he's calling you to be courageously bold and to walk into Celebrate Recovery. That is probably the most courageous step that you can do is to get out of your car, walk through the Live Oak building, come up to the loft. That takes courage. You will be met there with love, grace, acceptance. You won't be judged. You're going to find a forever family that will love on you and walk with you in the journey. But above all, you're going to find Jesus there. And you're going to hear, I am with you. If you feel like the odds are against you, mighty warrior, God is there with you. At the end of our Celebrate Recovery meetings, we all say the serenity prayer together. It's a prayer of asking God for his peace, his courage, and his wisdom. Would you join me as we close our service and let's say it together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen.